This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Hey there, and welcome to the Pioneer Agronomy Northeast podcast. We are on our 78th episode. This is the week of October 10th. I am Chris Skuse. With me, as always, is Emily Oligar. We are your hosts. Our topic today is 2023 Plenish Soybean Opportunities in the Northeast. Emily, who is our guest? Thanks, Chris. Today, we are happy to have Jake Moore with us. Um, He is the Sales Effectiveness Manager for the Northeast. Jake, you've been on here before, but would you mind sharing a little bit about your background with folks? Yeah, thanks for having me again. I've been on here a couple of times. Jake Moore, as Emily said, I work uh, with the Northeast team, the sales effectiveness manager, and part of that responsibility is is kind of helping facilitate some of our Plenish outreach with Roger Tyson, um, who heads up Plenish for North America, um, but kind of help a little bit here with some of the relationships we have surrounding Plenish and specifically some of that around on-farm feeding. Happy to be with uh, both of you again and talk about uh, something that's near and dear to I think all of our hearts, which is the Plenish High Lake soybeans. Yeah, Jake, thanks for uh, coming on to talk to us about this. I think this is a really exciting topic that is ever expanding across not only the Northeast here lately, but across the country. Um, it really is a growing opportunity for for all the growers in the country, and we're excited to have that opportunity here in the Northeast and here to uh, learn more about it. So let's uh, let's let's start off with you know, can you explain what plenish beans are and how they are different from the other beans that we sell now? Sure. So I think everybody's familiar with the commodity soybeans, uh, which, you know, we primarily grow in conjunction um, with corn acres, rotational purposes there, have a lot of uses for commodity soybeans, but plenish high lake soybeans were something that was generated about 10 years ago in a response to the trans fat movement in the United States. So, you know, if we think back to that time, you know, we, we identified trans fats as being an issue in the American diet, and we were looking for opportunities to utilize healthier fats for cooking purposes. So the understanding of the high oleic content of whether it be canola or palm or sunflower or any of those types of oil that have that higher leg content was identified as something that that was trans fat free and was something that would be utilized as a healthier oil um, for food processing. So when we saw this was a need, we had identified that uh, we could develop a trait for um, providing just that high leg oil content within the soybeans themselves. So develop that trait for the food grade market. And in turn, uh, it also has a lot of industrial uses and unbeknownst to us at the time, ended up having a really nice fit into the dairy segment as universities started to utilize these soybeans in their modeling and then created some, you know, different experiments around them. They found that there were some really good benefits uh, when feeding these in conjunction with the high corn silage diets uh, that we primarily feed in the Northeast. There's a lot of great benefits there as well. That's kind of, you know, high level why, you know, we developed Plenish High Lake soybeans. They're often called uh, 
incorrectly high oiled beans. And that's not really the case. They have the same oil content as that of a commodity soybean. It's just the profile is different. So when we look at the oil content of a you know, commodity soybean, we're looking at uh, about 15% saturates, about 22% oleic, about 55% linoleic, and five, excuse me, 8% linolenic. In comparison to that of plenish, we actually offset that linoleic down to 7% and the linoleic down to 2.5%. And we have 75% oleic in there with just 12% saturates. So really what we're doing is not, we're not changing the content. Uh, you know, we're not changing the overall amount of oil that's there. We're changing the percentage of oleic and specifically in that 18 to 1 fatty acid gene. So I just wanted to kind of clear that up. And, you know, the question also comes up is, are there other high oleic soybeans out there? And the answer is yes, there are. There are other high oleic soybeans. There is a non-GMO out there. There's other uh, companies that have developed their different oleic soybeans, but they are not plenish soybeans. That is a trait that we developed that has this specific content of high oleic in that soybean. So that's a little bit about plenish soybeans and why we brought them there. So they don't just have more oil, it's a different makeup of oils in it. That is something that we hear a lot out in the field. Um, but you had touched briefly on it being on plenish oil being used for mechanical reasons. Um, could you go into a little bit more depth on that as to like what kind of mechanical use it can be used for? Sure. So there's quite a few. I think the last time I heard it was quoted about 120 plus different uses of the oil for industrial uses. You know, I think primarily asphalt is is one. There's lubricants like greases and engine lubricants. And the reason that it's desirable there is because of the flashpoint of it, the oil has a much longer life span. So it doesn't break down as quickly as other oils. So there's some really nice aspects to it in the industrial side. That being said, we have so much demand for the food grade oil today. In current markets, we're going to not have enough soybeans uh, oil out there to provide all the demand that there is not only for the food, but industrial and uh, on-farm feeding through cows. So there's more demand than there is supply today, which is an exciting thing to think about when I'm, if I'm a grain producer. Um, it means there's a lot of you know, tailwinds for this market. Yeah, that's exciting stuff. So that leads right into the next thing, right? Farmers um, are excited to grow new things or different things, but they're also looking for the opportunity of, uh, of asking the two questions, right? One is how much more can I make off of it, off a commodity? And, and that's going to vary. I'm, I'm sure that's what you're going to tell us. But two is who around me takes it? Sure. So great questions, right? Comes down to dollars and cents and, and logistics, right? So yes, it does depend uh, for both answers. I like to direct folks back to the pioneer.com backslash plenish, which takes them to the plenish site. On that website, uh, they can key in their address and it shows them the different locations around them that uh, handle Plenish. Um, some of these might be drop points for other uh, larger 
buyers, which you know you think of for our areas being Purdue um, as the primary one. We also work with mechanical extruders. So we have a few of those scattered throughout uh, the Northeast. And we also have some feed mills that handle these as well. So their premiums are listed on the website for those end buyers. Uh, if you don't find them there, you can also talk to your local sales rep. That's always a great option. They're familiar with the programs that we offer locally and can, can help get you in contact with the end purchasers as well. The exciting part, and while there is some variability, you know, from end purchaser to end purchaser as to what premiums they're offering, some of these premiums have doubled year over year. So they're the highest premiums that we've seen to date in 10 years of this program and extremely excited about this. Uh, the acres continue to grow with Plenish which is fantastic and provides a really nice opportunity for growing a high premium product. And just a point to add on to that, the website that you mentioned, the pioneer.com backslash plenish, um, that will have the processors, the options uh, you might have in your area to take uh, plenish beans to, but it also I think is fairly new or I just didn't know about it. It has a plenish calculator there. So you can put your number of acres of plenish beans you're planning to plant, what your average yield is um, across your farm, across those acres, and then it will allow you to choose the premium um, for whatever end processor that, that you would take them to. And it, it calculates out you know, your additional benefit to growing plenish, which I think is pretty neat to see just right in front of you what you could have as additional income. Yeah, you're correct, Emily. That that tool is new. That's uh, we had some calculations in the past, but it is new to the website um, on that landing page there. And it's a good call to lead producers back to that. Um, it shows some of that real profitability opportunity there for the farmers that are growing them. And just to follow up with what you were mentioning about, you know, I guess number one's kind of finding a processor. You know, is there someone in your area who makes sense for you um, to haul to. If I was a farmer in the Northeast and I was interested in growing plenish, I guess that's kind of where I start, right? Like, do is there a processor near me that I can take um, these beans to? But what are the other steps I need to go through? Are there a lot? Is it pretty simple? Can you tell us just about that process, Jake? Sure. So, you know, once you've done some exploratory fact-finding there on the website uh, or talking to your sales rep, the next step would obviously be you know, creating an invoice for those soybeans. So you say, hey, I want to you know, grow plenish on my farm this year. Um, you talk to your sales rep about the varieties that are going to fit for your farming operation. When an invoice is created, we then want to take that one step further, which is to create a reservation. So with the help of the sales rep, a reservation is made in a system called MarketPoint. Um, and this sends a signal to the end purchasers. Say Emily is a end user of Plenish and is purchasing um, Plenish soybeans from the farmers. I would say, hey, I want to take and sell my you know, Plenish soybeans to Emily. The reservation is created with Emily and that sends that signal there for her to then send a contract over to me as the grower to create that contractual um, relationship there between us for the amount of acres that I'm saying I'm going to contract with that location. So that's how it works for new purchasers, whether that's a feed mill, a mechanical extruder, or a chemical extruder. 
if I am going to retain ownership of them and feed them through my dairy cows or any other sort of livestock, there is an on-farm feeding agreement. So same process, we still need to make that market point reservation. I guess I should maybe back up for a second on that. The reason we do that is because we need to have tracking where these soybeans go. Um, so as good stewards of the products that we raise as farmers, we have to make sure that we don't contaminate the conventional commodity soybean um, grain channel as well. So this allows us to kind of track the flow of these soybeans um, because we do want to keep them separate. Um, there's there's value to commodity soybeans. There's value to plenish high leg soybeans. We want to make sure that we know where these soybeans are and how they're flowing through the grain channel to make sure that they end up where we want them at the end of the day. So with that, we make that market point reservation that helps us track that. And then as I was saying with the on-farm feeding piece, we make that market point reservation. And then we also fill out a on-farm feeding agreement that again says that, hey, these soybeans, these, this acreage of plenish soybeans is going through an animal. So that's kind of some of the steps there. Otherwise you market them just as you would with uh, commodity soybeans. You talk to the buyers there at the end use sites and market them just the same way you would. You can most sites have an opportunity for either a harvest delivery window or an on-farm buyer's call, which has those on the website as well for what those premiums are associated with. Yeah, just on a side note on that, I mean, it's really expanded the number of locations that, that growers would be able to take those plenished beans to, especially in that Pennsylvania region, you know, and I know last year it expanded to New York and that will continue. And then Pennsylvania expanded their locations that you're able to take plenish to. And then of course on, on the Delmarva has quite a few locations there too. So it's really expanding to a, a larger geography. So I know there's a lot of growers out there that are, are asking and curious on what plenish is and, and what opportunity they may have there. So that's pretty exciting. So the next question that, that they'll typically ask when they're new to the program there is, um, what maturities uh, of, of plenished soybeans do we have, do we offer there, and uh, do we have them in A-series? Yes, so we have uh, A-series plenished soybeans. We've continued to keep advancing with these genetics. These are our leading genetics for agronomics and yield, um, and we're bringing them into the plenished program. We have been for several years, and we continue to keep breeding new varieties within plenish. Um, we are excited about getting enlist by plenish down the pipe. As it stands today, we continue to keep yeah, advancing genetics in that A-series plenish uh, roundup platform. Yeah, the maturities that we offer in plenish are from a 1.9 to a 4.8 um, in variety. So it gives us a nice spread for the Northeast. To your point, Chris, I was just counting here and we do for easy access to the Northeast, have about 23 different drop points that I see here a day um, that kind of Expand in Ohio, Virginia, Maryland, Delaware, Pennsylvania, and New York. So a lot of opportunities to take those two, and that continues to keep expanding um, as there's more and more interest with plenish. Growers can feel confident that they have varieties that are going to fit their operation as well as locations to take them to. It's exciting too, because I mean, Jake, you're obviously here working on plenish. It's kind of been one of your main projects that you've been doing. And um, just through conversation, it sounds like we have a lot of interested farmers and processors, and I think it's going to be something that's going to stick around and continue to grow here. I think 
think there's a lot of opportunities in the future with it. Yeah, I'm very bullish on the the future of Plenish. I think this will be an acre that continues to expand in the Northeast at a, a, a very quick step. Well, the part that excited me that you talked about is that, you know, there were some premiums this year that doubled year over year. And that says that you're, the the oil demand is probably getting higher. And you touched on that a little bit earlier. Could you touch on that a little bit more? What do you mean by the oil demands getting higher um, than it has been? Sure. So what we've seen, um, and, you know, we've been doing this for 10 years, is that there had to be a lot of R&D work done by the food processors that want to utilize this oil. So what do I mean by that? Well, if I'm a snack food producer, I want to make sure that my snack foods taste the same on the East Coast as they do in California and uh, as they do in you know, the heartland of our country. So they have to do a lot of R&D, whether it comes to shelf stability, you know, the taste of their product, et cetera. So once that R&D work was done and found that, hey, this is a really good product for shelf stability and consistency in taste, then that signal says, hey, we want to use more of this oil. The demand is growing as contracts for this oil have grown for the use of plenish oil, not only in snack foods, but also in fryers and the, the lifespan that they have in the fryer space. This does another thing there, not only from a from a taste and stability standpoint, but also, as I was talking about earlier, that flashpoint lends itself well to a longer lifespan use in the deep fryers than a lot of fast food chains. This not only allows for reduced amount of supplies needed uh, because you have less turns of that oil, it also allows for reduction in labor costs for some of these uh, fast food restaurants. As you think about it, it requires manual labor to change that oil out and clean the fryers every time. There's a lot of large parties that have contractually started using plenish oil and are signaling increase in their demand for it. Um, as we know, it's not just a turn the light switch on and we have more soybeans. It takes a, a harvest season to grow them. So the demand is now high and that's why we continue to see these premiums grow as demand grows. So we have a lot of good tailwinds there on that food environment. Yeah, that's really exciting stuff. So, I mean, you know, the the demand's growing, um, the premiums are growing, the locations are increasing. Uh, so it really is becoming a great program. I think for for the majority of the farmers in the Northeast, it's an opportunity for them um, to try this program out. You can make more money. You can bring back the help bring back the edible oil market to the United States after we lost it with you know things like palm and canola and sunflower and things like that. So bringing this back to the edible oil, the edible oil industry back to uh, the soybean market really is a great thing and you can make more money doing it. So uh, that's pretty exciting stuff. Thanks. Yeah, go ahead. Highlight there that Chris, you, you, you said, um, and want to make sure that our listeners are kind of aware of it, right? You, you talked about palm oil uh, for a second, and that's something that we import heavily. And if you think about uh, how palm oil is made, you know, there's a lot of deforestation involved with that. So not only are we importing less, we're also creating this oil in a much more sustainable way. So we have the opportunity to grow these soybeans year in and year out on farmland 
that were already growing commodity soybeans on. There's a really nice aspect of that too, as we think about how we continue to steward the land that we have in the world and how we want to make sure that we can continue to steward this land for more and more generations of farmers. That's a really nice piece. And I always like when we can grow something here on our own soil and have it be American made. I think that's a real win for this whole system all the way around. Right. Like Cortevan Pioneer, right? Headquarters here in the United States. Uh, soybeans, you know, grown and developed here in the United States. Actually developed in our local area, de developed in Delaware. But that's another story. So but thank you, Jake. Really appreciate it. Um, taking the time to talk to us about Plenish. It's an exciting opportunity for everyone involved, especially our farmers. And uh, we, we definitely want to make sure that our, our farmers are informed about it and ask their local pioneer reps about uh, the Plenish opportunity there in their local area. So next, we'll move on to a section of the podcast that we call the Weekly Watchout. This is a section where we ask one of our guests or hosts what our growers should be looking for over the next 7 to 14 days. Emily, what do you think? Well, I think everybody on this call um, would agree that although it doesn't feel like it, we are getting into the swing of harvest, which means that we're already starting to plan for this coming season. And uh, I think this was a great year for us to really look at hybrids in the field and in different environments and see how they're performing, um, how they handled this stress, how they handled even stress on different parts of your farm, whether it had to do you know, types of soil that you had within the weather that we had this summer, all those things. So I just wanted to throw a uh, note out there that you know, if you're not already, we highly encourage you to work closely with your Pioneer sales rep for field planning and for product placement. They know these products in and out. And I think if there was a year that showed us we need to really pay attention to that, it would have been this year. So might not feel like we are uh, already planning for next year, but it's already starting. Just keep that in mind and don't hesitate to ask any product questions that you might have. Emily, can they field plan my plenish soybeans? Yes. <laughs> field plan your plenish soybeans. A uh, note by Jake Moore. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, no, that's a really great point, Emily. Whether it's corn or soybeans, you know, product placement really is key. Um, and that could uh, definitely affect your bottom line. Um, but So making, making sure that you're working with your local pioneer rep that is very knowledgeable on all the products um, will definitely be key to the success for the 2023 growing season. So thank you all for joining us today on the Pioneer Northeast Agronomy Podcast. If you have any questions regarding plenish soybeans, please contact your local Pioneer rep or your local elevator who works with the plenish team. And to get more information on plenish soybeans, you can go to pioneer.com or like we mentioned before, you can go to pioneer.com backslash plenish and tune in next week when we discuss another timely agronomic topic. We hope you enjoyed the conversation this week and don't forget to search Pioneer Agronomy Northeast on your podcast app for more insights and solutions fueled by forward thinking farming. Thanks everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward thinking farming.